Has there been something in your life that you just know once someone asks you to give an opinion, you just know you're going to just launch into this tirade of experiences and passion and excitement, and you're a little bit worried that you won't be able to stop. You know that once you start talking about this subject, your voice will get louder and louder. The cadence of your words will get quicker and quicker There's a few of those aspects, those few instances of my life, there's a few areas of my life where I feel like that. I mean, for one, you ask me to talk to you about Gretchen, and you give me time, and I don't feel like I'm crunched for time. I could go forever. What she's accomplished in her life, what she's contributed to our families, what she has done in our children is incredible. Man, my boys, I could talk about my boys. Yeah, you can applaud for my wife. But now you're going to have to applaud for everybody now. You know what? uh, I could talk about my sons forever. I try hard not to because I'm sure you all get bored of it. But man, I'm proud of the young men that my boys have grown into or who they're growing into, their work ethic, how hard they work, what they've accomplished, and the way that they're at least imperfectly pursuing God. Man, I'm thrilled I could talk about them forever. There's a third aspect of my life I could just talk about. And that's you. That's a church. Man, if people ask me about this church, I could go on and on forever. I'm so proud of the church that you've grown into, the church that you have become, the way that you remained unified in the midst of some of the most crazy times, at least of our lifetime. The way that you are are faithful to the word of God and generous to not only each other, but the community. Man, when people ask me about this church, just sit back and listen because I could talk about you forever. Your faithfulness, your generosity is kind of what leads us to a problem right now. Our campus is packed. Tuesday morning, Wednesday uh, Wednesday evening, it's packed with women's Bible study, men's Bible study, kids and youth activities. Wednesday morning, because of your generosity, community, Bible study, people from our community, ladies come here to study the word of God because there's nowhere else to do it. Thursday morning, BSF, 175 plus women now come here Thursday morning. So now our campus, Tuesday morning, Wednesday morning, Thursday morning, Friday, we get overrun by this homeschool co-op called Legacy. If you just want to see our campus just filled with life, come on a Friday morning. It's not Saturday morning. Don't even get me started on Sunday. Sundays have gotten packed where we don't have room to start new classes I just started asking our uh, elders and staff to park on the back grass because there's not enough parking spaces. And and, uh, people are even coming early and saving seats at church. It's nuts. Which leads me to um, maybe some ways you could help us out during this growth time. Call it a growth list. And here's some ways you can help. Number one, can you pray? Just pray for guidance and unity as... The elders and I and the staff and church leaders are talking about what do we do next? What do we do about extra parking? How do we, you know, maybe we need to build something extra. Maybe we need to add a third service. Maybe we need to uh, have other aspects of ministry, build more small groups so everyone can have a place to go and grow in the Lord and be known and be missed. 
And pray for guidance and unity because there's a lot of opinions. There's a lot of things that we have to figure out here in the coming months. You can help create space. Here's some ways you can help. Um, if you're not someone who is just like, and I get it, I'm not judging you. When I come early, I come early to get a seat on the aisle because I need space for my legs and big clown feet to go out into the aisle. I get it, no judgment on you. But if you're someone's like, Brian, I can sit anywhere. Can you scoot in towards the middle for me just to leave the aisle for those people that don't know to come early to church? And while we're thinking of it, um, you can move forward a couple aisles. That would be great too. Um, I think a lot of people don't want to be seen by the pastor. You think I'm going to call you out, and I won't unless you're like Darren. Then I might. But, you know, I already know you're there, so you might as well, Darren, move forward a couple aisles. And if you want to go park in the back grass, oh, with your wife, with your wife. <laughs> if you want to park in the back grass and join me, you can do that. And what I encourage our staff and elders is that extra minute it takes you to walk from the backfield to the front building, just pray for God's unity and continued work in our church and through our church. And lastly, you know, as our church is growing, there's more needs. And so if you'd prayerfully consider giving to our ministry and helping us uh, fund uh, this thing that God is doing, that would be fantastic. You've always done it. 13, 14 years in a row, you have uh, given far and above what we have needed as a ministry. And so, uh, but I wanted to lay that for you. See, I'm telling you, I've already spent six minutes of my time talking about this church. And that's how the Apostle Paul feels when he talks about Christian identity. Man, your identity in Christ is just what Paul lives for. Like when you give him an opportunity to talk about the gospel and the power of the gospel in your life, the apostle Paul can just move. Last week, we spent only two verses as Paul introduced us to our Christian identity in Ephesians. This week, we're only going to do one sentence. But man, what a sentence it is. Because after Paul gives you a, a... a title, a saint. He calls you a saint, someone who's been declared holy and set apart for the glory of God. He then goes into this tirade, this huge run-on sentence for 11 verses. 11 verses where Paul just explodes in this torrent of theology and passion. But what it lacks in punctuation, it makes, it makes up for an explanation and understanding. So if you're not in your Bibles already, Ephesians chapter 1, that's where we are, the book of Ephesians in the Old Testament. If you have no idea where Ephesians is, just go to the end of the Bible and flip to the left. You'll find it, and you'll look super spiritual while you're doing it. Ephesians chapter 1. Let's read this entire sentence of Paul, right? Here it is. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him in love. He predestined us to adoption, the sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us in all wisdom and insight. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his kind intention, which he purposed in him with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of the times. That is the summing up of all things in Christ. 
Things in heavens and things on the earth in him also we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will. To that end, that we were the first to hope in Christ would be praise of his glory in him. You also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is giving as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. (gasps) I mean, you read that and the first two things that come to your mind is like, okay, Brian, I get the passion and excitement of Paul. I have no idea what he said. You know this is important. You know Paul is just excited about it. I got to tell you, this huge run-on sentence is one of my favorite parts in all of Ephesians. Not just because of the excitement in Paul on Christian identity, but because of the understanding that we have in terms of what God did in our lives as Christians. So let's go back to the very beginning This one sentence begins this way. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Paul begins this huge sentence repeating one word three times. Blessed means to lift up to a position of honor. Paul not only uses that word three times, but he uses it in a weird way. He uses it in terms of what God deserves but he uses the same term that describes what God deserves to what God did for you. So Paul says, man, I want to lift up the name of God and give him the praise that he deserves. I want to lift him up to a position of honor because what God did for you and for me is he lifted us up to a position of honor. And not only that, but he has given you every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Like he didn't hold back. He lavished. He was just generous with you. I want to lift up the name of God to the honorable position that he deserves because God lifted us up to a position of honor and filled us with every spiritual blessing that he could muster. Now you get an idea of why Paul is so excited. Paul says, I worship God because I know what he did. And then he spends the next 10 verses helping you understand the blessings that he's given you. Because he's confident that if you understand what God has done for you, you'll worship him too. He goes into the first blessing then. So what are the blessings that God has given that he didn't hold back? He goes into it in verse four. He says, just as he chose us in him, before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. Let's stop there, because if you're like many other Christians, there is one word in there that just totally tweak us out. That word chose. We hear that word chose, that God picked you. That God chose you, and instantly as people, we start freaking out, because if God chose us, what's that mean for someone else? Well, who else did God choose? Is there someone that God didn't choose? And and when's he going to choose? Does he choose early? Does he choose late? And why? Why would he choose some people and not other people? And then all of a sudden we start working ourselves up in this frenzy and that's something that Paul's never intended. Paul says, you know how lucky you are. You're a saint. You're a child of God. You're a, a believer. You're an individual with a Christian identity. 
and you've been blessed. Do you know why you've been blessed? Because God handpicked you. He chose you. It's not a curse. Being chosen is a blessing. It's not a burden. It's not something to fight about or worry about. It's a blessing. Have you ever been chosen? I've told you this a number of times, but when I was younger and I'd go to the park to play basketball, people saw my size and I would get chosen first or close to first. The first game. Because once they recognize that pretty much all I am built for is to look at. (laughs) I have no hops. I have no hands. I have very little athletic ability. I can just run up and down the court. Man, I look good doing it. But I'm no help on the court. So the the first time everyone gets lined up, I get picked near the front. Every game after. I don't get chosen. I get received. Everyone else gets picked and someone gets burdened with Brian. See, the fact that God's choosing you, it's a blessing. Man, don't understand, Paul. He's not giving you this theology for you to worry about. It's not a curse. It's a blessing. He's like, Paul's like, don't you understand? God chose you. He handpicked you. And don't put a lot of pressure on yourselves. Look at what Paul said said this in 1 Corinthians. He said, consider your calling, brethren. There weren't many wise according to the flesh. He's talking about you. Not many mighty, not many noble. God's chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong. The base things of the world and the despised. God has chosen the things that are not so that he may nullify the things that are so that no man may boast before God. Paul later would say, man, if you boast in anything, you boast in the fact that God chose you. You were chosen. Look at what James, the brother of Jesus, said. James 2.5, he said, listen, my beloved brother, and did not God choose the poor of this world to be rich? Rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who loved him? Face it, accept it, relish it celebrate it. Paul's like, man, I can't wait for you to understand the blessing of your spiritual identity. Number one, you've been chosen. And that doesn't put a lot of pressure on you. That should be something you celebrate. Man, you're 6'6", and you have no athletic ability, and yet God chooses you. God knows you at the depths of your brokenness, and yet God chooses you. God knows your stubbornness. He knows your rebellion. He knows your greed, your selfishness. He knows your hunger for control. He knows that you like to claim credit for all the good in your life and blame God for all the bad in your life. God knows all of that, and yet still he chose you. First blessing, Paul says, man, and you can just get his excitement. Listen, he chose you and he's not done. He's like, listen, if we're going to talk about the blessings of God, let's talk about it because look what he says next. Says in love, he predestined us. Oh boy, here we go again. Like Paul's just going after all the hot words. Hey, I want to talk to you about the blessings of God. He chose you. He said, and yet, yet there's more in love. He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us 
in the beloved. That term predestined, God fixed it and appointed this in your favor. When I hear people struggle with predestination, it's because they worry what it means for others. Instead of just receiving it as a blessing, we start worrying about, well, who else did God predestine? Who didn't he predestine? Paul, that's never Paul's intention for you. Paul's like, do you understand what God has done for you? Do you understand your identity? When you give your life to Christ, man, the work of God, you recognize not only has he chosen you, but he has fixed it in your favor to be adopted by him. He wants you to understand the powerful blessing of your identity in Christ. And he chose you. And he fixed it. He laid everything out in your favor to make sure that you would be adopted as an heir in his family. According to the kind intention of his will that he freely gives to you. Paul said, you want to understand the power of your identity, number one, you have to understand the blessing of it. It is not a curse. It is not a ball and chain. It is not a burden on your life. Man, this is a blessing. And Paul's like, I can just go on and on and on and talking about it. Man, God chose you. God adopted you. He predestined you to adoption. He fixed everything in your favor. Man, there was no chance of you screwing this up. Because if there was, you would. You want to know the power of God? Paul says, you want to know why? I'll talk about it all day, every day. Because I know something that maybe you don't. God chose you. He adopted you as an heir of creation, an heir of his kingdom. Man, being chosen and predestined, man, don't worry about those. Those aren't something that causes us to divide. That should be something that causes us to come together, recognizing of the goodness of God that chose us and fixed it in our favor to be adopted into his family. Our previous series, Sunday School Song Theology, we went into adoption, right? We talked about in Roman culture the four truths, the four powerful understandings of adoption. Number one, when you were adopted, you lost all rights to your old family. All your old allegiances were gone. All your old connections were gone. Your old life was gone. You lost all rights and all connections to your old family. Number two, when you were adopted, you became an heir of the Father's kingdom. You became an heir to the estate If there were no sons already naturally born before you, even if you were adopted, you became the heir of his kingdom. Even if you had a natural son born after you were adopted, you were still considered the firstborn and the heir of the kingdom of God. Number three, you're adopted. Your old life was wiped clean. All those debts that you had accumulated in your brokenness paid. All the criminal activity that was on your record has been wiped out. When you get adopted into a family, you have an entirely new life. And fourth, when you're adopted, you were sealed in that relationship and it was secured with a witness. 
Oftentimes there were seven witnesses just to make sure in case six died, there was still someone here to testify. Man, he knew were adopted into a family in the Roman culture. Man, you were a completely new creation and new life. Paul's saying, you want to understand the power of God, the blessing of your identity. Man, you were chosen. You were adopted. And third, you were redeemed. Look at verse 7. He says this, in him we have redemption through his blood. Of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us. That term, redemption, means that all of your debts have been paid. All of your crimes have been wiped clean. You are a new creation. Paul said, you want to know why I'm so excited about your Christian identity? You were chosen by God. You were predestined. He fixed it so you'd be adopted into his family. Yeah, he wants you in his family so bad, he rigged it. And then he redeemed you. He paid all of your debts. He wiped clean all of your flaws. Look how the Apostle Paul said it in 2 Corinthians. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, surprise. Right? My second favorite word. Behold, surprise. New things have come. You want to know why Paul is so excited about his identity? Man, he, that's the whole purpose of this letter. He's writing to a good church just like you, filled with good people who love Jesus just like you. But he wants to make sure they understand the power of their identity in Christ. Paul said, you're a saint. And I'm sure people are like, I don't feel like a saint. Paul, you don't know me. I am no saint. Paul says, I beg to differ. Because of the blessings of God, I celebrate God because of what he has lifted you up to. He chose you. He adopted you. He redeemed you. And he didn't just clean you up to put you on a shelf to have a little trinket for him to just look at. Here's the fourth blessing. God chose you. He adopted you. He redeemed you. And then he purposed you. I mean, God cleaned you up and adopted you into his family so that he could use you as an instrument of his glory. And look, look how that's described. It's in the middle of verse 8. It says this, In all wisdom and insight he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his kind intention which he purposed in him with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of the times, that is the summing up of all things in Christ, things in heaven and things on the earth. In him also we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined. There's that word again, relax. According to his purpose, he works all things after the counsel of his will. To, you, to the end that we who are the first to hope in Christ would be to the praise of his glory. Man, why did God purpose us? Why did God do all of that? Last four words. The praise of his glory. A praise of his glory. We'll bring glory to God. We'll be a reflection of him, not just in eternity, but in the present. Look to the next chapter, chapter 2, Ephesians 2, 10. Paul says it again, just a little differently. Verse 10, he says, we're his workmanship. Chapter 2, verse 10. We're his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for good works. Like God, Jesus handcrafted us. 
for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. I mean, God has purposed you. God has worked all of this out in your favor so he can transform your life, make you a new creature, and then use you for his glory. He's taken someone like you and someone like me, given them everything so they'd be a useful part of his plan, of what he's doing. And look, we can, he says in all wisdom and insight, here's how he did it. He made known to us the mystery of his will. God shared his plan with you. Everything you need to know and everything you can grasp, he let you know. The mystery of his will, everything that people in the Old Testament weren't quite sure what he was about, you know it. Paul said, you want to know how blessed you are? You know what God's about. You know what God wants to do. He let you know his entire plan. Here's what I think is so funny, because so many of us go through life, we don't know what God's plan is. Do we buy a house? Do we move to Texas with everyone else? Or do we stay here in California? Are we to vote? Are we to not vote? Do we buy this car, not buy this car? Do I put my kids in public school? Do I put my kids in homeschool? What's God's will? I don't know what God's will is. We just run around worried and arguing together, dividing ourselves because no one knows what God's will is, but Paul seems to think that we ought to. What's God's will? Look at how the Gospel of John said it. We get a hint in John 3, 16. God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Three chapters later, John gives us a bigger hint. This is the will of my father, Jesus says. Ding, ding, ding. This is God's will, that everyone he beholds, the son and believes in him will have eternal life and I myself will raise up on the last day. That's God's will. If people see Jesus and believe in him and then when Jesus returns, raise him up. That's God's will. When Paul understood it, look at what he said. This truth changed his life. Colossians 1, 25. Look at how it impacted his life. Paul said this, of this church I was made a minister according to the stewardship from God bestowed on me for your benefit so that I might fully carry out the preaching of the word of God, that is the mystery which has been hidden from the past ages and generations. Paul's like, look, this is my job. Once I understood this, it's my job to spread the mystery of God. But it's now been manifested to his saints to whom God willed to make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Keep going. We proclaim him, admonishing every man, teaching every man with all wisdom so that we may present every man complete in Christ. For this purpose also I labor, striving according to his power, which mightily works in me. And Paul's like, man, once I understood my identity, it changed my life. My focus now, I want everyone to understand what God did. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes. 
Paul's like, once I understood my identity, man, I just thought it was important that I just went about my life making sure everybody I come in contact with knows the riches of God's glory, the blessing that he has bestowed on them if they would only accept it and believe. And you might be saying, oh, Brian, that's Paul. That's not me. That's not you. If you're in your Bible in Ephesians, put your thumb there, flip over one book to the right, book of Philippians chapter two. Just in case you're thinking, oh, Brian, I don't think Jesus and I don't think God desires me to be that extreme. I don't think God desires me to be about making sure everyone understands. I mean, if I have my spiritual identity in Christ, can't I just be about then living my life? Hiding in a good conservative church and saying, come Lord Jesus, quickly come. Can't I just do that? Not according to Paul. Paul wrote this to the church in Ephesus or a church of Philippi. Another good church filled with good people. Listen to what he told them. Philippians 2 verse 5. And we're turning here because I want you to be able to go back to it. So you can remember this. He says this, have this attitude in yourselves. Doesn't get much clearer than that. Hey, what I'm about to describe, I wanted to describe you as well. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross, the most horrific way of dying known to man at that time. For this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. Why? Verse 10, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow. Those who are in heaven and on earth, under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. To the glory of God the Father. Paul says, have this attitude in yourself. That Jesus had, man, when you understand your identity, you won't see your position of comfort, something to protect and hold on to. Man, you'd be willing to leave it. You'd be willing to go to the point of death if that's what it takes. Knowing that God, at the end of time, is going to bring everybody before Jesus and every knee will bow, either in humility or defiance. But make no mistake, every knee will bow and recognize who Jesus is. Paul says, you want to know what impact your identity should have. And God saved you. He justified you. He paid your debts. He cleaned you off and he empowered you with his Holy Spirit. Not so you can go and just control the world. So you can go and impact it and transform it in the name of Christ. Paul, again, this run-on sentence, when he's trying to help them understand what their identity looks like, Paul's like, I'm stoked, super excited about what God did. Man, if you understood, it would just break you out of your shell and cause you to praise and worship God because he chose you. He adopted you. 
He redeemed you, all of your debts, all of your failures. He paid for those. He made you an heir of all creation. He filled you with his Holy Spirit and he purposed you so that you would help other people understand the power of God that's at work and available in their lives. There's one last blessing. Paul said, you want to understand your identity. Man, God chose you and don't think you're something special. You're at the end of the line and God chose you anyway. He adopted you. He redeemed you and he purposed you. And lastly, he sealed you. It says, in him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you are sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. People after they read this one on, run-on sentence from Paul, they might be thinking, oh, Brian, I think that's too good to be true. God wouldn't choose me. If he does choose me, it's just going to be for the first part of my life. Then he's going to recognize I have zero talent. And he's going to cut me from the team. He's going to recognize I'm not a perfect husband. I'm not the greatest dad. I do my best as a pastor. Now, what confidence do I have that I'm going to be able to keep my identity through all of my weakness? Paul says you're sealed in him. The term seal, it's a stamp of authenticity. It's a guarantee. It's been officially ratified Like God has sealed you. He has guaranteed your position with him. And look what he says. Sealed him with the Holy Spirit of promise. Who is given as a pledge of our inheritance. That term pledge, down payment. The Holy Spirit is just the start of what God has planned for me. Man, you think Pentecost was crazy. That was the down payment of what God has in store. You think the Holy Spirit, the breath of God filling your life, you think that's crazy? That's just a down payment. Man, you got to wait. And now that I'm 50, I feel like I can be a little grumpy. Because here's one of my pet peeves. When people start asking questions about heaven, I hope my horses are there. Will Bob the epileptic chihuahua, will he be there greeting me when I come? Will there be fishing? Will there be horseback riding? Will there be golf? Please, Jesus, let there be golf. Like we have this view of heaven. Will I have a bigger house, bigger than I have? Will I be driving a 14-year suburban made out of gold or will I get a Tesla, something nicer? Like we have all these questions about heaven and I think we have these questions about heaven because we don't understand about the blessing of God. Man, heaven is going to be beyond anything that you can even imagine because God's there. Man, if Bob's there, my epileptic chihuahua may rest in peace. If he's there or not there, I don't even think I'll care because God's there. Paul's Paul's saying, you got to understand, like he sealed you with the down payment 
of the Holy Spirit. What God did in Pentecost and all that worship and everyone coming out and just declaring his name and that just feast and right there in the temple square, man, that's nothing compared to what God's gonna do in heaven. Man, the Holy Spirit's a down payment. It's a guarantee. Man, if you think that this is good, just wait for what you're gonna get in heaven. So don't worry about eternity. Let's focus on experiencing as much of heaven in the present. That should be our goal. Man, we should get a down a taste, a down payment of heaven right here. Bible says in in heaven, every tribe, every nation, every tongue is going to be present worshiping God. It's not a congregation of just a color or an economic group, or a gender. Man, it's everyone, everyone of God's people coming together in unity. If unity ought to be possible anywhere in this world, it ought to be here. So I guess my question is, do you know your identity? Like, who is that true of? Is this true of you? Have you received these blessings in your life? Because here's how you know. Apostle Paul says this in verse 13, In him you also, after listening to the message of truth. The term listening is not the science of recognizing sounds, but it's accepting the gospel of salvation as truth. Man, it's not just hearing someone talking. It's receiving the truth of the gospel that Jesus died for you. He conquered your sin. He has paid your penalty. He has offered it freely to you. He has preordained everything. He stacked everything in your favor because his will, his desire is that you become a child of his. Paul says, will you listen? But not just listen. He says, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed. A term believe is more than understanding. It's an agreement with the truth to the point that your life and your future is forever changed. And when Paul understood his identity on that Damascus road, it altered his life. He went from a corporate mindset to a global mindset. He went from building his kingdom to building God's kingdom. He went from trying to bolster his life so that everyone would say how amazing he is to recognizing the depths of his depravity and giving God all the credit that even the chief of all sinners, as Paul described himself, God would choose him. That God would fix things in Paul's favor so that Paul, someone who persecuted Christians, even him, Paul fixed things, or God fixed things in Paul's favor so that he could become a child of God. All the guilt, all the shame that Paul racked up in his life, Jesus paid. And Paul says, God then gave me his Holy Spirit and purposed me for his glory and guaranteed that everything I experience on this earth, man, that's just a down payment. That's just a taste of what I'm going to have in the presence of God forever. 
So I guess my question is, have you accepted it? Have you embraced this identity? Have you recognized what God has laid out before you, offered you as a free gift? Have you accepted it? Have you heard the message of salvation and believed it to the point where you allow it to change your life? If so, hallelujah. But if not, why not today? This isn't about do you go to church? This isn't about did you go to Awana? Did you get the Timothy Award? Did you memorize all the verses? This is do you understand what God did for you? And you accepted it and allowed it to change your life? Have you embraced it as your identity beyond your political position, beyond your education, beyond your ethnicity? Man, if you understand the work of Jesus, that is your identity from now on. If you have not embraced it, I won't give you any opportunity in just a moment to do that. But my suspicion is many of you are like, Brian, you know we've done that. You know that. You know that we have claimed the identity of Christ. And my question for you is this. Who is one person in your life that needs to hear the power of God, the blessing of his identity from you, in the way that the Ephesian church heard it from Paul. With passion, with excitement, where you just can't help but tell them what Jesus did in your life. You don't have to have all the answers. And just like we didn't get hung up on predestination and being chosen, don't let them either. One, one name, one person. I dare you, keep praying. God, give me one name. When you have it, write it on the board so I can be praying for you and for them. First names only, just in case they show up at church. Don't want it to get awkward. Write on the board so that all of a church, we can be praying for those people and for you. Have you received your identity? Or who needs to hear about your identity the way the church of Ephesus heard it from Paul? Let's pray. Uh, God, again, I'm grateful for your word because it gives us a taste of the power it should have in our lives. God, for so many of us who we know of the truth of your gospel, we have accepted the gift of salvation, but God, we confess it, it hasn't quite excited us and empowered us the way that it has Paul. So God, open our eyes and allow us to see our Christian identity as you do, as Paul does. God, allow us to have that passion, that fire, that excitement, that confidence. God, help us to have the imagination, God, that you're capable of doing far more beyond anything that we can ask or even imagine according to the power that's already at work within us. God, for these people, I pray that you give them one name, one person you placed in their life for the very purpose of them proclaiming their spiritual identity to them the way that Paul proclaimed it to the church of Ephesus. And then, God, I pray after you give them that name, give them courage and boldness to proclaim it with excitement and passion. God, for those people who are here today, 
who don't have that identity yet. They have not claimed your forgiveness. So God, now they live their life in, in fear of judgment, burdened with shame and guilt, fearful of people finding out who they are. God, I pray you open their eyes and allow them to see you as I do. God, open their ears that they might hear your offer of forgiveness, your pledge of redemption, that they might understand and find valuable the, the new identity that you would give. God, I pray you give them humility, God, that they'd have the ability to right now just confess their brokenness to you and ask for a new start. God, give them humility that they'd reach out to you believe in your gift and receive it for their life. And Jesus, as they reach out, I pray you forgive them as you've promised. You'd give them this unmistakable joy and this peace that's beyond human comprehension as you fill them with your spirit. And God, then through your spirit, will you begin leading them and guiding them through the paths of life for your namesake. God, may you receive them as you've received me. May you empower them as you've empowered me. And may you give them hope as you've given me hope. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.